Worried about letting someone else pick out the perfect avocado for your perfect impress them on the third date guacamole? Well, good thing Instacart shoppers are as picky as you are. They find ripe avocados like it's their guac on the line. They are milk expiration date detectives. They bag eggs like the 12 precious pieces of cargo they are. So let Instacart shoppers overthink your groceries so that you can overthink what you'll wear on that third date. Download the Instacart app to get free delivery on your first three orders while supplies last. Minimum $10 per order. Additional terms apply. Baseball is back. And so is MLB.tv. Watch every out-of-market, regular season game on your favorite streaming devices. Anywhere, anytime, all season long. Follow the action live or on demand. Track four games at once with multi-view mode. And catch up with in-game highlights. Plus, original programs, minor league broadcasts, and local pre- and post-game shows. Go to MLB.tv to start your free trial today. Blackout and other restrictions apply. Major League Baseball trademarks used with permission. All right, welcome back in, everybody, to another edition of Sports Daily. Jacob Albrocht here. Paul Savage joining us to start things off today on a Tuesday. Looking forward to getting Paul's take on the Super Bowl for the first time here on the program. We are on the morning after another overtime Sunflower Showdown game. Uh, What else should we expect at this point, I suppose? And Jerome Tang continues to dominate overtimes. We'll get into that, what it means for both programs, as we make our way through today as well. Um, We will get into a just a massive story from Major League Baseball as it pertains to the Kansas City Royals. And, you know, we've been giving the Royals a little grief over the last 18 months or so saying if you want a new stadium you got to you better open up the pocketbook and show fans that you're committed the royals have opened up the pocketbook to show fans that they're committed giving out the biggest contract they've ever given out uh, by a long shot to bobby witt jr we'll get into that throughout the program today as well and maybe if we have time it could be a story for another day but Seeing some chatter about the potential unionization of college athletes. Uh, perfect time to talk about that. We've got Paul Savage in here. Paul, good morning. How are you? I am just fine. It's good to be on with you guys today. Tommy, you'll be joining us in a little while. I look forward to that as well. How are you, Jacob? You doing okay? By the way, was over at uh, uh, at uh, uh, our, our our favorite tea shop the other day, and I don't. I, I and I just can't tell you how much I enjoyed. The strawberry tea, uh, uh, you know, artificial sweetener, it was delicious. I'm just telling you right now. I'm just going to say it right up front, get it out of the way. Now we can go to sports. I feel better, though, now Now that I mentioned my tea experience with, uh, with, uh, with your particular tea store. HTO, and we'll give away some HTO a little bit later in the show. We'll give away some free tea and Thank you, a by free the way, brew house coffee. Thank you. Uh, on the KFH hotline at 869-1240. Chad Chambers manning that hotline for us each and every day here 
on Sports Daily. Your chance to win will come later in the show. Uh, Paul, did you stay up late with the Sunflower Showdown last night? Oh, my night? gosh. Are you kidding? I got started on that thing, and, and I, I literally couldn't leave it. Uh, I basically watched everything, the whole schmear, and it was a lot of fun. I really enjoyed it. little factoid that I did not know. Maybe, maybe you were aware of this. Jerome Tang, winner of 10 overtime contests in a row, 10-0 and at K-State. I wasn't aware yeah. of that. I, I mean, I they said it. Finally, they said it. And I thought, how in the world did that stat get by me? And and I didn't know that. But I thought to myself, how the heck does that happen? How do you go? You've been an overtime, been an overtime expert. Uh, a lot gosh. of things out of that game. I th- you know, K State had to have it to keep their tournament chances alive. They're going to have to have several more of those if they want to uh, try to get into the NCAA tournament. Right. But I, th- I think a lot of things were on display. One, it right. is really difficult to win on the road in the Big 12. Period, full, stop, whatever. Like, that's hard to do. I think for Kansas State, you we can just appreciate the fact that they were able to find that win in the middle of their worst stretch of basketball this season. Right. And they're going to need a few more of those. They get BYU twice, which I still think presents a tremendous opportunity. The net rankings have not been updated today, I don't think. So if that happens throughout the show, uh, I will let you know where that moved both programs. Uh, but we're we're waiting to see that. Uh, let me let me just yeah, it's so Kansas. It is updated on the official site. So Kansas fell down two spots to number two. And I am looking at this live. So Kansas State moved up four spots then to number 79. So that's a big win for K-State. It did come at home. They're going to need to get some of those on the road. And we'll see how that works to, to get them back into the NCAA tournament. But for Kansas, you know, we spent a lot of time yesterday talking about needing depth, the reasons you need depth. And last night was a perfect example. You know, they got into some foul trouble. Uh, you can... Hunter Dickinson and K.J. Adams both fouled out of the game. Now, some of those calls might be questionable, but guess what? There's always questionable calls in college basketball, and there are certainly always questionable calls when you go on the road in the Big 12 and in big-time games. And and I, it doesn't matter where it comes from. The reality is they're going to have to have just a little bit of depth for this per- – I mean, this is the exact scenario that plays itself out. The other part of the game that clearly, to me, played itself out is that KU looked tired because, you know what, you got to follow a Saturday game with a road Monday game, and guess what they get to do again next week? And guess what happens when you get to the NCAA tournament? You play a lot of games in a short period of time. They were gassed last night. I don't think there was any doubt about that. And – whether you want to complain about officiating, whatever it is, they found themselves in foul trouble. Mm. These, I mean, it's a right as we get into it and you feel great about the Houston game. It's like, man, they really need some. De- this is a perfect example of they have got to find minutes, meaningful minutes off of their bench because these things are going to happen to them. And while I still contend that they've got as good a starting five as any team in the country, K-State clearly uh, put the clamps on, on you know, the young Australian there, Johnny Furphy, and, and made his life miserable last night. And then, so wh- a couple of things, Paul. K-State played that perfectly, right? They attacked the bigs. The way to attack K- KU is going to be to get the bigs in foul trouble, to get anybody in foul trouble. And usually those are the easiest guys to do it. They did that. Mm-hmm. 
and they and they chose, I think, to just go and make Furphy not be able to be the spark plug he's been, and it brought back into focus the things that have limited this KU team all year. And good teams are going to do that. They've got to find a way to work through that. And I don't know how they do it. I don't know if it's on the roster. Uh, we still have a month to go. But it was a perfect spotlight on the issues that plague KU and, you know, take them from being in the conversation as maybe one of the better teams in the country to those preseason expectations, which are the best team in the country. They're just not there right now. And and last night was a perfect example of why. Well, and your example with fatigue is is perfect, spot on. Listen to the last two fouls that, that Hunter Dickerson got. I think fatigue contributed to both of those fouls, those last two. Because if you if you if you if you were watching the game, you noticed, you know, he was standing up a little straight. What happens when Juan becomes tired, becomes fatigued, you know, need to get get a grasp of air a little bit, you know, uh, you know, be able to relax just from you stand up taller, you don't you're not in a in more of a defensive stance, uh, you're playing with your hands leaning instead of straight up. And and I think that was part of the problem. I think fatigue contributed to the last two particular fouls for Hunter Dickinson. Now, I could be wrong on that, but it's what it looked like to me. But it was obviously KU was a team that was fatigued. They got up and down the court quite a bit, and, and K-State did a good job of attacking them, make them defend, make them move, move the ball around pretty, pretty decently. Uh, a lot of good ball movement, a lot of penetration, which makes it very, very difficult uh, to uh, get any kind of wind in the course of a game. Listen, K-State played it perfectly. They fatigued. Now, I'm also saying in a roundabout way that KU is not as deep as as a should I say a national contender needs to be. I, I don't know if that's the proper way to say that because obviously the University of Kansas is going to be a contender, uh, you know, for a Final Four berth. I think they are. Although who's to say Houston wouldn't or Baylor or or Iowa State or the Red Raiders? And I mentioned those four teams because they all have a better Big Twelve record right now than does the University of Kansas. So, with that being said, uh, fatigue is a big thing. And fatigue has to be figured out a little bit. And that means that somebody's got to step up and give some of these guys a chance to be able to recuperate, get ready to play, come back in, you know, have a great last 10 minutes of a, of a basketball game and be able to play the thing with energy and, and not be, you know, tired and gasping for air. But I'll tell you what, K-State played it perfect. They got up and down the court just enough to make KU work. Jacob, I think you're onto something right there. KU has a problem, and it's not personnel. It has to do with fatigue and finding those guys that can come in and spell, uh, and, and spell the 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 starters a little bit more and give them a chance to get a little rest, get some air, and get back and compete at the level that they need to. You're spot on, but the, but Kansas State, you got to give them credit. They saw sure. what they needed to do, and they did, and they did a great job of attacking the basket. And, man, that takes it out of a team, doesn't it? That takes it out of a defensive team. When you attack the basket like that, man, that works those guys to death. And so uh, congratulations to K-State. Great game plan. But what do you expect from Coach Tang? I mean, what do you expect? That's exactly what I expect. Yeah, look, they he has been on a kick of, you know, we got to be basically the authors of our own story. And he's used the example a few times of, you know, if Bruce Willis died in the first scene of Die Hard, the movie wouldn't have been nearly as good. So he's, you know, he's doing everything he can to keep his guys engaged. I don't know. I mean, it's going to take a lot of big wins down the stretch. I, I you know, anything can happen in a Big Twelve tournament, but the the beauty of the Big Twelve, it's it's like 
the beauty and the danger of it is that there are never nights off. But honestly, like when you get to this point in the season and you need more, you basically have an opportunity every night to boost your resume. And so that that could help them if they can get on another little run. They've been a very confusing team from the get-go this year because we didn't have very high expectations for them. Then they lose Naquan Tomlin. Then they rally behind it and and start playing really well and are like sitting at the top of the league. And you're like, okay, maybe we were wrong. Maybe maybe they're you know, and we Jerome Tang looked incredible and all these things. Then they go on the skid and it's like, okay, now they are because they didn't you know they didn't look in the first half or anything like amazing. They just made things very uncomfortable for KU all the way through. I don't know if they have enough. But I know they have a ton of opportunities coming down the pipeline here to go and and earn their ticket big time. They're not in yet. I, and I know they're five and five in the league, but we we've seen this in the past. Like their their metric rankings are not good enough. Last night moved them up four spots. That's a heck of a win. The, they get BYU and Texas on the road still. Uh, they get Kansas, Cincinnati, Texas, and BYU on the road. They've got to get some of those wins. And, you know, the home wins are going to be important too. But you got to be able to go get some of those on the road and see if you can earn your way back in. But, you know, if they ugly it up, that that was a – that t- to me and Bill Self's sentiment last night, Paul, too, that was a – that was certainly a home court boosted win. And the atmosphere was incredible as we knew it would be. That place was rocking. It was electric. All of that stuff. Can you go get those wins on the road? Because, you know, Bramlage brought it last night. It was it was fantastic. It was. I loved it. But, you, you know, you don't get that all the time. So can you go back on the road? And they've had big road wins. Not a lot of them, but some of them. Now they're going to have to go get some of those because that's what will really boost their resume. And we'll see. It's them against the world. And, you know, Jerome Tang is early on. He looks really good at that, right? He looks good at making that happen. So it was a fun game. Not so fun if you're a KU fan. I know KU fans are frustrated today, and I get it because all of the things we've worried about with KU all year long, that was kind of it all in a nutshell last night. They were tired with a lack of depth and a quick turnaround from a Saturday to Monday. They got in foul trouble. I mean, it's literally what we were concerned with yesterday about their lack of depth. What if one player gets in foul trouble? How about three players got in foul trouble? Which happens all the time in college basketball. Whether it's good calls, bad calls, who cares? Like, it happens, and they're going to have to figure out some way to rotate guys in and be able to maintain things for short stretches while they can get guys in and out of foul trouble. Right. That's just the reality of college basketball. That's what's good. I mean, it will happen to them in big games down the stretch. So how do you navigate it? If things go perfectly and, you know, you can play your starters all but five or six minutes in a game, yeah, they're they're probably going to win every game they play, but that's so unrealistic a possibility that you've got to figure it out. And now they get a long time before their next game. And they'll probably look incredible on Saturday. And then they'll have to turn around and go to Lubbock on a short on a short window on a Saturday to Monday. Right. And that ain't going to be any easier than going to Manhattan. I can tell you that right now. Right. And Texas Tech may be better than K-State. Mm-hmm. So 
They'll get another opportunity to work through it this week. We'll see what happens. This would be, I would imagine, if you asked Bill Self, one of the more critical weeks of practice uh, of this season to get that extra time to be able to do it. But we'll see. I'm going to make a statement. You can tell me if I'm crazy or not. Here it goes. Parker Braun and Nicholas uh, Timberlake, those two players may be the keys to the University of Kansas. Not Timberlake. No. You don't think Brown, yes. Braun? No. I agree on on Brown. I think Brown what about Jackson, is. Maybe? What about maybe Jackson? Well, so the two freshmen and McDowell didn't even play last night. No, no. El Marco Jackson came in and tantalized. He had a, just a really terrible shot right when he checks into the game early, mm-hmm. and then he bounced back and had a nice explosive play. But you can't have the terrible because it led right to a K State bucket. Huh. So Brown, I contended, and I still believe this is is going to probably be the most critical because. He will allow relief for Dickinson, for Adams, and potentially even McCuller. Heck, maybe even Furphy. I think you can run him out yeah. there. But, is, you know, Timberlake, he's not shooting. He's not. If Timberlake's in the game at this point, and this isn't a knock on Timberlake. I mean, it is, but it's not. A, that's not what I'm intending. If he's in the game, you're kind of in trouble. Like, you're in a trouble spot, right? Something bad has happened if he finds his way in. I think Brown is the guy that Bill Self, Bill Self clearly trusts the most. And one of the two freshmen are probably, to me, far more critical than Timberlake because they could, at their upside, bring something to the floor. Timberlake, I mean, he's an experienced player, but he ain't shooting. Like He's just not shooting the ball well. It hasn't all year, so I don't know what value he has. When he's in there, something has gone wrong. So, I, I you know, that's... Brown's in there. Brown's the guy right now that, you know, and he gave him 10 minutes last night. They just have to have, they can't lose so much when they have to make a substitution as they do. It's, it's as glare. And and it's always a tight rotation for Bill Self. This is as glaring as we've seen. I think, I mean, it's, it's pretty tight. Yeah. I don't remember anything quite like this. And maybe El Marco Jackson is another one. Here's, here was the point of my, my thoughts. And I think, I think you and I are in agreement with this. And that is that obviously the starting five for the University of Kansas is pretty good, but I mean they can't go an entire game. It's almost impossible. You know, maybe you get a you know one of those rare you know point guards who can be on the floor a whole lot. He just one of those you know you wind them up and they go 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 go. But this is a University of Kansas team that's got to find somebody that's going to come off the bench and play quality minutes, uh, help with quality yeah. stops, get some points. You got to contribute to the overall point total, which right now the bench is not doing. Uh, so I guess my question still stands, and I and at this point, I think you're going to, to agree with me that the University of Kansas goes as far as the bench goes. Now, I mean, that sounds crazy. When you got got when you got guys like Dickinson and Adams and and and, Aquiler, and I mean, come on now. I, and I'm talking about the bench, but I think if you watch that game any quantity of time, watching that game last night, you understand what fatigue is because I think we all saw it. And teams are going to run the University of Kansas up and down the court, and, and, and they're going to attack the basket. They're going to do things because tired players have problems moving their feet. We all understand the philosophy of that. And so when you do that, then, then the basket opens up, uh, the paint opens up, uh, you know, movement, ball movement will wear somebody down. All I'm saying is, is that we're bringing up guys like Brown and, and Jackson and, and Timberlake guys that we shouldn't be talking about, and yet they've got to fulfill a role. There's a role for those guys. They've got to fulfill those roles, fulfill that 
that scholarship contract, uh, the the NIL that you're getting, fulfill those those roles with with performing at a level that can take a load off of the starters, off of the quality starters at the University of Kansas. And I'll tell you what, the success of this team may come down to just those three guys, Brown, Jackson, and Timberlake. I mean, I, that sounds incredible, but watching last night's game, that was a tired University of Kansas basketball team, Jacob. It, it for sure was. And and look, I, it's um, you, you have to just understand. Like, when we say Kansas has a tight bench, and I just put— so the year they lost to Villanova in the national championship, I, I go back to like the Duke game, the you know the historic Duke game in Omaha. Right. The, Silvio De Sosa came off the bench and gave him twenty six minutes. So that was it was six guys and Marcus Garrett played just a tiny bit, but it was that six guy playing a lot of meaningful minutes. Go back to the national championship over UConn. Remy Martin played twenty one minutes in that game. Like that's what they don't have. They don't have that that rotational player in there giving them meaningful minutes. And I mean a lot of minutes, right? Like they don't have that in there right now. And that's what's really, really hurting them. Their best teams, yeah, Bill Self always runs tight rotations. I get it, okay? I I totally get it. But, you know, you go, okay, go back to the team that, you know, the COVID year that probably would have won a national championship that was just so dang good, right? Christian Brown, David McCormick were giving that team meaningful minutes. That was as deep a team as they've ever had. They just haven't. They they have to have one of these players be able to come in and give them 15, 20 minutes a game, or it's not going to happen for this team. There are too many variables that can just, you got to have at least six. The great Bill Self teams always have. It's always been tight, but he's had that bench player. They just don't have that. Is Brown enough? Boy, I don't think, you know, like he's the one I trust the most, but it's going to have to be one of those two freshmen. I mean, it is. It's a big month for those two freshmen. Who's going to step it up for Kansas? And K-State, they keep the hope alive. That was a big, big win for the Wildcats uh, last night. All right, when we come back, let's crack the can on this Bobby Witt Jr. story, shall we, Paul? Holy moly, Royals. What an offseason the Royals have had. We'll dig into it next on Sports Daily. fans you can check out gopowercat.com's powercat podcast the latest news on wildcat men's and women's basketball all season long follow powercat podcast on the odyssey app or wherever you get your podcasts welcome back in everybody sports daily here on kfh tommy castro will be back with us in hour number two we've got paul savage in today i'm jacob albrock jad chambers man in that kfh hotline uh paul the royals are doing exactly what we thought they needed to do if they're going to sell, they they will just, I'll say this. They bought some yes votes to that stadium proposal that's getting voted on soon up there. Signing Bobby Witt Jr. to the most important deal. Um, You know, I, I don't think it's overstating it. I don't think it's hyperbole to say this is the most important deal the team has ever done because of the timing with the new stadium and all of these things, let alone the, the young transcendent 
talent, right? Like the talent itself warrants a deal like this. The Royals just don't come across this type of player all that often. This type of player doesn't always want to stay in Kansas City all that often. And you're trying to build a ballpark and do these things that they're trying to do. You have to have a face of this thing. It makes sense, and it's important that they got the deal done, and they get the deal done. And it's 11 years, up to 14 years for the 23-year-old that essentially, at least for the vast majority of his career, puts Bobby Witt Jr. in Kansas City. Uh, Second largest deal ever for a player that's still four years away from free agency. And, you know... I think if you historically look at those deals, the jury's still out on Fernando Tatis because he's kind of been a bonehead a little That's bit right. lately. No question. But Buster Posey, it goes right in above Buster Posey. You think the Giants regret that deal? No chance. Mike Trout, you think the Angels regret that deal? No hey, chance. No Jordan way. Alvarez, it's early in his, but after what we've seen from him, do you think the Astros regret that deal? No chance. So – it's it's a you know there's a precedent for this for Bobby Witt Jr. and for franchises to do it and the Royals go and get it done and kudos to them for doing it it was the right thing to do it is mission critical to what they're trying to do big picture and you know for Royals fans the who are the big winner here like it just means Bobby Witt Jr. wants to stay in Kansas City and be a Royal through all the losing that they've done that's a big deal too that he's committed because he could just as easy sit back and be like, nah, man, let's ride this thing out. I'll make a ton of money in arbitration and then I can go pick my spot. I I love that as much as anything in this deal is that he's, you know, that alpha Paul, that he wants to be the face of this thing. I think that's awesome. I think it adds to the lure of him. And, and it, it, again, it's the most important contract the Royals have ever done as a franchise. You know, my first thought when I heard about this signing and and Bobby Witt Jr. is that special baseball player uh, that Kansas City's got to have. But my first thought was, how important was that World Series championship that the Royals won just not that long ago? How important was that to Bobby Witt? And I'm going to tell you, I think it was probably a huge reason why he says, okay, I'll go ahead and commit to the Kansas City Royals. Probably he loves Kansas City or he wouldn't or he wouldn't stay. But he probably understands that this is a team that will do some things that it takes to win a World Series. They've done it in the past few years. They can do it again. And I think that was huge on that. By the way, Jacob, you know, you, you, you're talking about that extension on the end, those last three years to make it a 14-year contract. That makes it $377 million. All right, is this the Royals we're talking about? I'm serious. I mean, I, I, I'm, I'm sitting here thinking, is this the Kansas City Royals that I've known and loved for many, many years? I, I, I couldn't believe they did this, but this is a big-time deal. This is, this is one of those things that says we're going to step up, we're going to play with the big boys. Got to have Bobby Witt Jr., we got to have him. If you want to have a run, if you want to have a fan base that says, yes, at least the Royals are trying, you got to have Bobby Witt. You can't let him go. You got him locked in. I think you're probably right. That was a huge step towards a contract for a new stadium. Uh, a lot of things are lighting up, but I'll tell you what it says about the Royals is that there's a commitment to win, to get players, to keep players, to do what it takes, to become more successful, uh, not not putting down the World Series championship that, that was won a few years back, 
But I'll tell you what, you got to give the you got to give the Royals credit. They're playing in the game. They're playing in the game. And you know, thirty home runs. You know, 30, 30, 30 stolen bases last year. Come on now, where, where do you go get those guys? You don't go get them that off plays, the trees, you know. That plays shortstop. That plays shortstop. Look, I, it's when you have failed so miserably in player development over the years and they have like no prospects in any prospect rankings right now and you and you've got to look at that it's been a it's been a mess for a while right and there's only one way that you can solve that and that's to spend right you, they just don't have the ammo coming up the pipeline to help this team be better now they've they've got a lot of call ups that are going to help them but it's not just the Bobby Witt Jr. That was the most important one they could get done. There's no doubt about that. But look at the other additions for this offseason, right? Adam Frazier, Hunter Renfro. Probably, you know, handy players that fits more of the mold we've seen from the Royals over the years, right? Affordable position players that maybe you can flip around at the trade deadline. But it's before that when they went out and they signed Waka and Stratton and Lugo and Will Smith, um, you know, I, they they went and signed four big-time. I, I, I shouldn't call them big-time. Michael Walker, I think, was a big-time free agent signing. Seth Lugo was a big-time free agent signing. And then you go just add pieces to a bullpen. They're showing us that they think they can win sooner than, you know, they'd be predicted to, and you can go get, Two guys to plug into a rotation. Two guys to plug into a bullpen. You lock up Bobby Witt Jr. You've added. Now you look at you know the additions of Adam Frazier and Hunter Renfro, and you're like, okay, you know those guys could definitely be better than some of the young guys if things don't go well. It's beginning to come together, and in the division that they play in, as we sit here on February sixth, you just need to think you have a chance, and I think this team has a chance based on the additions they've made in the offseason. So it's it's the bigger overall commitment. The Royals of years past would never go sign, you know, Lugo and Waka in the offseason, who are high upside but pretty expensive free agents, all things considered, for the Royals. That's a commitment. That's a commitment you're making to try to win now because, it you know, the other – Side of that, if you're not doing that, what are you telling fans who you're trying to, you know, convince they need to help pay for a new stadium? Well, we're just going to we're going to have all these great young players. You're going to waste Bobby Witt Jr. is what you're going to do because the farm system's not there at all. Like it has to be completely rebuilt. That's going to be that's going to take years to do that. You can't just wait another six years of, you know, 90 to 100 losses every year. You got to go attack it now, and that's what they'll do. They won't waste Bobby Witt Jr. If they stay aggressive in free agency, who knows what will happen with this team? And at the same time, they still have to fix the other issues that have plagued them. But just what a what a turnaround that honestly would have been hard to imagine six months ago. This team making and in the eyes of perception and all these things. But how could you not be excited if you're a Royals fan right now? Well, it caught me off guard. You know, the thing that caught me off guard was probably the same thing that caught you off guard. 288, almost $289 million. Well, that's what it was going to take. That, I mean, that's what it, it was going to take. But I, did you, did, did, 
Did you honestly think they would do it? Because I, I didn't, I didn't think they would. I really didn't think they would do it. Um, I'm not sure. I, I knew thought. they needed to do it if well, they wanted to convince these. To if they, well, no, no, no. I just mean for the stadium. Oh, I, you oh, know, I, I thought you. the chances. I thought the chances were higher than normal, um, because of the need to get that stadium deal done, and this will help them do that. I mean, there's no question about that. I mean, you, you've got to be able to put a face on that thing. Salvador Perez probably isn't going to be around to see it come to fruition. No, probably not. And so you don't really have anybody else. Like, it's got to be Bobby Witt Jr. So there was a necessity associated to it. But not like when you combine it with the other additions they've made in the offseason, I mean, I don't know what the total dollar commitment this, this season's going to be, but it's going to be around $50 million that they've added to the payroll, I would imagine. I'll have to fact-check myself on that. But it's a lot of dollars they're adding to this payroll right now to try to win next year, which is the right thing to do because the division's winnable now. It may not be winnable forever. Right now is, you know, the time to do it, and they've done it. And, I, you know, we've, we've, we've blasted them a lot for not doing it. They've done it, and they deserve credit for doing it. I hope it works. It may not work, but that doesn't mean you don't try. And they're trying. And they've been, you know, I haven't been fiscally irresponsible, I don't think, Paul. Every deal they've done has made sense to me. They're short deals. If they don't work, okay, so be it. But, you know, they're, they're trying to commit to winning right now, and that will be critical if they want full momentum coming into a new stadium. Right. I mean, how bad would it be to build a new stadium and have a team that goes into it, loses 100 games a year, and you can't, I mean, they're one of the worst drawing teams in baseball because they've been so bad. You want to do that at a brand new shiny ballpark? No, like you have to fill that thing up. Well, the good news is they're not the Oakland, you know, the Oakland A's when it comes to attendance. That's the good thing, but that's not saying much. But I, I get what you're saying. I do get what you're saying. And the reason I get what you're saying is because this is so unlike the Royals. And this is this is but this is what it's going to take to be be competitive. But we're not used to it. We're not used to seeing the Royals spend this kind of money. And I think to the average fan, they go, you know something? We haven't had a player like Bobby Witt Jr., the potential that this young man – let's remember, he's only 23. He's got a lot of good years of baseball left in him. There's no question about that. Here's a 23-year-old kid. You've made the commitment for him to be a royal, and more than likely it's enough that it's going to make him be a royal for the rest of his life. And you're sitting as a, as a royal fan saying, you know something? Maybe it's about time that this team did, does what it takes to, to be be really good on a year-in and year-out year basis. Will you be able to compete with the Cardinals or with the Cubs, uh, teams that are regionally in your area when it comes to, to expenses uh, for players? No, no. We're not saying that, that you're going to start seeing the Royals slug it out with other teams in free agency. I don't think that's what we're saying. But, boy, they made the right call on this one. Bobby Wood Jr., is now the face of the Kansas City Royals and will be for quite a while. Only Miami and Oakland were worse in attendance at Major League Baseball go. last year right. than Kansas City. Oakland That's was it. embarrassing, too, by the way. It was embarrassing for Oakland. Yeah. Well, Kansas City wasn't that far ahead. Well, okay. Only those. That's that's what you can't. And that's what I mean. Like, that's why these are such encouraging i mean it it is i i am so happy for royals fans today and yesterday like i just am because it sucks 
to to have no hope in baseball. I, I would contend no hope in baseball may be the worst sports fate because of the fact that they play every day and it's all that there is in the summertime, really. They're doing everything they can to change that, and they deserve credit for it. Now, let's see if they're the right moves, right? That matters too, but at least you've got hope again if oh, you're the Royals. I do. Bobby Witt Jr. is the one guy that would give me hope. I think well, I've he was got... there last year. Well, he I mean, was there I, last year. I know, but I mean, I mean, but I, 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 but the additions gives... along with him but, are an overall commitment. You'll have you... a hard time convincing me, Paul, that the Royals don't have a chance right. in that division. Yeah, next but year. you didn't think that Bobby Wood Jr. would be there for the next eleven years, did you? I don't think you did, did you? Because I did. Yeah, yeah, no, I did. I, oh, oh, okay. I thought that the Royals were going to make a make a okay. run at him if okay. they were if they were serious about okay. building a downtown ballpark you. and doing that. They they had to do it. I I was one of. I thought they should have done it last year, and you know, at a time when people were saying they should trade him, I said the opposite. No, they should not. They should lock him up to one of these deals, and they did it. I just, I'm, I'm very happy for Royals fans there you go. today. Good. All right, we'll come back. Lots of other stories to get to. Uh, I want to get Paul's just sort of bird's eye take on the Super Bowl. We'll have Dan Israel coming up top of next hour. The Chiefs, uh, ex- uh, Chiefs Radio Network executive producer, live from Las Vegas. So. We'll get you ready for that interview with a quick segment to get Paul's initial thoughts on the Super Bowl. That's coming next on Sports Daily. All right, welcome back in, everybody. Sports Daily. Uh, Mr. Savage, we have not talked about the Super Bowl with you. What do you think? It's a tough one. This is going to be uh, in – I've got a situation. The line hasn't moved. My my head leans 49ers. My gut leans Chiefs. I'll go with my gut as I have been. But this this should be an awesome Super Bowl, I think. Right. And, and this is going to be an interesting uh, Super Bowl based upon the fact that you have that Hall of Fame caliber quarterback and you have a quarterback who basically was Mr. Irrelevant. I mean, I'll tell you what. Now, my, my question would be to 49ers fans, which my son is one, by the way, and he's probably listening to us this morning. How and, on and he, earth could you let that happen? Uh, it was a deal. I'll tell you what. It's one of the, it's one of the moments – of shame of my parenthood. You ought to be ashamed. Of I yourself. don't know how this happened. I've offered him therapy. I, you know, we'll, we'll 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 put him in you know in in therapy if if he needed it. He won't go. Uh, he he refuses. But it had to do back in the days with Jerry Rice and Joe Montana. You 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 don't remember? Well, you probably remember what a big deal they were back in the day. Joe Montana just you know was everything to football at one point. Jerry Rice the same thing. And, and he became a 49ers fan because of the glory and because of the personalities on that football team. And there were some interesting and, and good personalities on the 49ers. That's how it happened. It's a low point of my parenthood, but it's something I have to live with on a daily basis. Uh, but anyway. The As point- a self-proclaimed, you know, almost Cowboys fan. I just can't believe you'd let that happen. I, I, swear, to, I swear it snuck up on me. It, it, I didn't know it. I didn't know it was that deep at the time. I, I just thought it was a childhood deal. You know, you know, right. he'll grow out of it. 
but he he never did. But anyway, it's and by the way, the Cowboys are are my team because of my relationship with the state of Texas. You know, you can't live in in the state of Texas. You know, basically a hundred miles from Dallas and not be a Cowboys fan after living there for three years. So that or in my case, three hundred miles from Dallas. Uh, where I grew up in Texas, but right. yeah, no, I get it. Yeah, and but so, wait, what are you? Where are you at on this game? Well, like, here's, is this here's where I'm at. I don't have a take on this game as to who's going to win or lose because I think it could literally come down to whoever has the ball at, uh, on the last possession. Seriously, that's where I think this game is. And and to try to pick, uh, you know, Brock Brock Purdy is the interesting thing about this particular game because here's here's a kid who doesn't have much much experience, who's who's young, who is Mister Irrelevant, uh, you know. The 49ers don't think he's too irrelevant right now, do they, being their number one quarterback and a, and a guy that this team believes in. And the weapons that he has, the receiving core that he has, the ability to run the football uh, that San Francisco has. Listen, the ability to run the football by the 49ers might be the difference in this football game. I'm, and I mean that. It could easily be the difference, uh, you know, McCafferty and – and, and, oh, who's the guy that backs him up? But anyway, the, you, you get my point. The, the ability of the 49ers to run the football could easily be the difference in this football game. And I don't know. Well, that, it will be. It, it will be. It I will, mean, it's the yeah, most glaring. Be. It's the most glaring thing. You know, the, the Ravens, it was criminal that they did not run the ball. Uh, a team that can run the ball. The Chiefs don't have a good run defense. They haven't all year. That's just the reality of the situation. The 49ers will not make that mistake. Uh, with Christian McCaffrey or McCafferty, as you mentioned, but Christian McCaffrey will uh, he will get touches in this game. The Chiefs have to find a way to stop him because I don't know that there's any scenario that plays out in this game where San Francisco does not utilize McCaffrey in their game plan. Oh, I don't care gosh. if the Chiefs no, are up. Right. I don't care if the Chiefs are up twenty-one to nothing. The 49ers are not going to abandon getting their best player the football. They're right. just not going to do it. Yep. So that's, you know, priority one for the Chiefs is to limit what he does to you right. and go from there. Gotcha. We'll bring in Dan Israel, see what he thinks from Las Vegas when we return. Executive producer of the Chiefs Radio Network joins Sports Daily right after this. covered joining sports daily live executive producer of the chiefs radio network dan israel and we are back and we do welcome in dan jacob albrock paul savage with you dan here on this tuesday morning from las vegas we appreciate it i i don't know if the night's festivities kept you up late but we appreciate you waking up early out there on the west coast time zone how are you this morning i'm good guys how are you you know it's funny the I've done several Super Bowls now, and being in the the Pacific time zone is a little odd because opening night last night, which was, you know, these huge ceremonies, it all started around 3 o'clock when we got in the stadium. The actual <laughs> festivities went from 5 to 7, and we were done. So it was actually kind of an early night. Yeah, we, we played some audio. I don't know if you could hear right before you come on of Mahomes catching some heat from 49ers fans. What's the vibe out there? That's certainly sounding like the 49ers fans are out in full force. We know Chiefs Kingdom is going to be there. But this isn't going to be a friendly environment for the Chiefs who knocked off the 49ers in a Super Bowl not too long ago. I would imagine it's there's there's going to be some hostility out there in Vegas. 
Yeah, I think the 49ers and the, the players and fans both feel there's unfinished business here, but you know, you still got to play the game and you still got to go through the Chiefs. So we'll see what happens. It was interesting last night in, in uh, they held opening night in Allegiant Stadium and it was fairly full. The, the lower deck was almost completely full. And so there's a lot of fans there, but I, I had a hard time getting a sense for how, how many were 49ers fans, how many were Chiefs fans, because when Mahomes and Kelsey took the stage, it just seems like everybody loves these guys. And, and I, I know that's not the case. I know there are some hardcore 49ers fans who are going to hate him. And, but it was hard to tell who was 49er fan and who was a Chiefs fan. You know, when you look at this particular game, the matchups are fascinating, of course, between the two quarterbacks. But there's a matchup that really, really intrigues me. And if I can ask you about uh, Donovan Smith versus Bosa, that's going to be a fascinating matchup. Are the Chiefs going to do something a little extra to help protect Mahomes uh, with with a pass rush by a guy of the quality of Bosa? I mean, that, that guy's something special. Are they going to use uh, Pacheco to uh, uh, chip? Are they going to chip with a with a receiver? Are they or a tight end? Or what are they going to do to help uh, Donovan Smith uh, with Bosa? Yeah, Paul, I hope so, because he's a train wreck, man. He is. That guy, Bose is fierce. He, I mean, he's physical, he's fast, and he's, you know, that he's got that tenacious, never quit. So even when you think you've shoved him to the ground, he gets back up and somehow chases your quarterback down. It's the craziest thing I've ever seen. Definitely one of those players you got to watch for. Uh, I think it's interesting about the 49ers' defense because the back end of their defense is really a lot of uh, – you know, free agents and old veterans that have been, you know, to five, six different teams. And now the front four guys and those linebackers, that's a different story. So that is going to be something to watch because, you know, their linebackers are fierce too, man. But Bosa sets the stage for all of that. So somehow the Chiefs have to have an answer beyond just one guy taking care of Bosa because one guy doesn't take care of Bosa. I think the, the attitude of, of the 49ers both offensively and defensively is you get one-on-one you should win so I know Bosa thinks that way I know George Kittle thinks that way so it's something they're going to have to and I think you know that's the beauty of coach Reed and his creativity is he'll find some creative way to 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 get an extra hand on on Bosa somehow the other matchup that jumps off the page of course and we've talked about it already is Christian McCaffrey against a run defense that has been near the bottom of the league in yards per carry allowed. Um, the, the 49ers, Dan, are not going to make the same mistake the Ravens made. I, I cannot imagine a scenario in that game. I don't care what kind of lead the Chiefs potentially would have that would make Kyle Shanahan not give McCaffrey touches in this game. What is the plan for him? Injuries going to play a factor. We know that, and we'll get the latest on that in just a minute. But what do you do if you're the Chiefs to neutralize this weapon because you know the beauty of the 49ers offense is they have a lot of weapons it's hard to single out anybody but they're gonna have to with McCaffrey first and foremost yeah Jacob you're right I mean I think you know first of all Isaiah Pacheco to me is the funnest running back in the national football to watch but the second is definitely Christian McCaffrey and you can argue that he's got at times more effectiveness than Pacheco he just is one of those guys that's special. You know, you watch him run. It kind of reminds me, I mean, this is a strange tie, but kind of reminds me of Barry Sanders where you never wanted to take your eye off Sanders because you knew he'd do something. 
right? Now, he was more wily, and, and you know, Sanders would run around. Somehow you'd think you'd have him down, and you couldn't. But McCaffrey's more of a power kind of back. He just blows right through your line. But he's a guy that you just absolutely have to have an answer for. And I'll, and I'll throw on there Debo Samuel. Both these guys can catch, run. They can, you know, I just I feel like talent-wise – that they definitely have that stacked up. And, I, and the one thing else I'd say about this versus Baltimore, because you're right, I don't think Kyle Shanahan's going to make that same mistake. The one thing I'd add to that is Purdy, when he has to throw the ball, is very accurate. Lamar Jackson struggles to throw to the sidelines. He can throw straight ahead accurately, but when he has to throw at an angle, he was not a very accurate quarterback. Purdy is not that way. Purdy can throw the ball. That's why the 49ers have such a high yak, uh, you know, they, they deliver the ball on time and in a spot where you can get yards after the catch. So these two, I think both these guys are going to be formidable weapons for, for the 49ers. The one thing I'll say is somehow, some way, Steve Spagnuolo figures out a way to mitigate these guys. You know, when we played them a year and a half ago, they just got McCaffrey and the Chiefs defense kind of, took care of business, but he wasn't fully a 49er yet. Now we're going to see a, 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 you know, a full Christian McCaffrey knowing every page in the playbook, not just 10 pages in the 10 pages in the playbook. And so it's going to be a, a matchup to watch for sure. I think, you know, Chris Jones will factor into that, how healthy he is. Uh, you know, it just, it's going to be one of those, it's going to be one of those, uh, opportunities, challenges for the Chiefs defense to say, okay, maybe we weren't historically good at stopping the run, but we are going to be today because Christian McCaffrey could end up with 150 yards on you. And you do that, I, I think that's a hard day for the Chiefs. So you mentioned Chris Jones. Let's go right there. What is the latest on his health? He looked hobbled in the last one. We know Amenahue's out. What What is the plan on that defensive line, starting with Jones, I guess, and then we can just sort of parlay that into the loss of a Minahue. Is this a, an opportunity for Felix Anudike Uzama? Is he ready for that? Do they go another direction? What What are we looking at along that D-line? Yeah, Chris Jones uh, appears to me, you know, as I see him in the hotel and in the meal room and things, he appears to me, to be okay. He's not hobbled. He's not on crutches. He's not in a boot, you know, none of that stuff. So that quad injury, I think it's a quad injury on him. Uh, you know, I, whether or not he's going to be a hundred percent or not, he's going to be ready to go. I, I think he's going to be fired up and ready to go. And, and as far as a minute, it's funny, Charles, a who walked by me yesterday and he wasn't limping or anything. I was like, wait, what's going on here? Then I looked down and saw this massive, like, you know, brace and machine thing hanging off his right. his knees. So I was like, oh, okay, <laughs> that that explains that. But uh, it's you know, I think you said it right, man. Felix has an opportunity here. I mean, it's the Super Bowl. You, you want to make a statement? Go make it on the biggest stage in your profession. <laughs> if he comes out and he has three sacks, he will not buy a drink the rest of his life in Kansas City. I guarantee you. There you go. Well, you know, obviously one of the things we got to talk about is Travis Kelsey and, and, and how he will be used. You know, there's so many things that you can do with, with a Travis Kelsey. Uh, I guess my question to you with, with regards to him is, how do you think that he'll be used this week? Is he going to be used in a bunch formation, maybe as a, as a tight wing, or are we going to see him in space? 
How do the Kansas City Chiefs intend to use Travis Kelsey this week when he lines up, and what will they be trying to get from him uh, out of however they do line him up? You know, Paul, I think it's interesting because the when they start the game, Travis pretty much sticks to the playbook. You know, what play's called, what he's supposed to do. But as the game progresses, he starts getting a feel for the defense. I don't know if I've ever seen a player, certainly outside of a quarterback, have a better understanding of defenses and space in football than Travis Kelsey. And what you see in him in later plays is they may line him up in a bunch formation, but he may abandon that really quickly because he knows this space is going to be open. And this synergy that him and Mahomes have, it just is incredible to watch. And it, it never more so, never more so is it more powerful than in the playoffs. Watching these guys the last three weeks has been amazing. And I kind of expect that to continue. They kind of set that, you know, they set that stage for how everybody else is going to play behind them. Look, will he completely abandon, abandon his roles in the formations? No, but I think you'll see him stretch things or shorten things to kind of find that open space. He just has such a good feel for how defense is played. Now, the one thing I will tell you is I think in watching, this is my film review, not coaches telling me, things so this is Dan's opinion but when I watch the San Francisco 49ers they do an excellent job defensively of occupying the middle of the field something the Ravens didn't do well something the Buffalo Bills were awful at the the Buffalo Bills left these massive gaps in the center of the field and, and it just you might as well put a big flag down there that said Travis Kelsey come here and I feel like the the 49ers don't do that so I do think Kelsey's going to have a harder time running his normal crossing middle stuff than what we've seen the last three weeks in the playoffs. We'll just have to see how he responds to that and how he adjusts. I, it feels – it does feel a little like um, it's going to be an off-script kind of – back to the original stuff you guys were talking about with Bosa – there's going to be off-script stuff that has to happen, right? Because the the chances of Mahomes not having to scramble around in this game are almost zero. Right. Like he's, it's going to have to be one of those kinds of games. And so, like, that's – and I, I've kind of grown on Kelsey in this game having a big game because of that. It's almost like the pressure will necessitate it, which means Kelsey's going to be option A, right, even more often than he might normally be. I, I don't see a scenario, Dan, maybe you do, where Mahomes isn't under fire and having to move around like that in ad-lib. Yeah, I don't. Th- I don't either. I mean, not Bose is just always in the backfield. He's always. In, they, they have such a good line. A deep, the Forty Nine ers have such a good defensive line. He's going to get a ton of pressure. However, I think Mahomes handles pressure very well, but it is going to necessitate him moving. You're exactly right, right with that. And, and I think the premise of what you just said is really important here, because these games don't come down to your system. They come down to adjusting and adjusting faster than the other guy. And there is – I look, I can't recall a Chiefs team. I'm not sure I can recall any team. If you go back to Peyton Manning, if you go back to Tom Brady, they both had very structured offenses. The Chiefs, they get into this backyard football. My money's on Patrick Mahomes and Travis Kelsey, guaranteed. I don't think Brock Purdy could even do it if he has to do that. But – 
I don't still think anybody's better at playing backyard, draw it up in the dirt kind of football than these two. And so I, my money's on, on the Chiefs, and my money's on the game kind of becoming that late in the third or fourth quarter. It's what we saw in 2019 when we played them. You know, we, yeah. played, our, we played our game. We were from working from behind the whole game, and in the fourth quarter they just started throwing it on each other's backs saying, let's do this thing. Now, I, I know the Wasp was a huge catalyst in that, but I, I felt like that's how that game ended. So I kind of expect this game to be the same. You know, when you look at the outcome on this game, it could come down to just simply this. Which team gets the most pressure on their quarterback? Because that could be the difference in this football game. And the reason I say that is because if neither team gets great pressure on the quarterback, let's say they they have a scheme where, you know, they really take good care of their quarterbacks. They give their quarterbacks time to operate in the pocket, which I don't think is going to happen, but it could. And if that happens, this could be a high-scoring game. When you've got two quality quarterbacks, you've got receivers like both of these teams have. Uh, and, and notwithstanding the, the, the Kansas City Chiefs receivers, they're playing pretty good. At now they're playing pretty good. Yep. And, of course, with a, with a Kelsey. I mean, both these teams have, have the capability of playing and lighting it up with the passing game. This could come down to simply which team gets more sacks, more hurries, more pressure, uh, makes the quarterback adjust in the pocket or even get out of the pocket. Uh Could this game simply come down? Who rushes the quarterback the best wins this game? Probably. I mean, that's, you know, that's a, that's certainly a game plan, a good game plan for most football games. I think the interesting aspect about this game, if you were to say, okay, and and look guys, I, I don't think I'll ever, the lesson I learned out of the last three weeks of Chiefs football is how valuable experience is. It, It just is. Lamar Jackson didn't have it. Patrick Mahomes did. And, you know, I just feel like it's so valuable. So if you stack these guys up, let's just say quarterback to quarterback. Mahomes wins the experience game. He's he's just more proven than Brock Purdy. I'm not saying Brock Purdy can't be a Super Bowl champion. I'm not saying he's not a good quarterback. I'm just saying Mahomes has got more experience than he does. If you stack up the defense, our defense against their defense, I just feel like our defense is more physical. I feel like it's more balanced. We, we, we're effective at all three levels. I don't think there's a better uh, cornerback tandem in the league right now than McDuffie and Snead. I think our linebackers are fierce. And we know what our George Karloftis, you know, uh, Chris Jones, look, you know, Felix has got to get in there. You know, he's, he's got to make some effectiveness. Mike Dana's going to play well. I, I just feel like if you stack our defense against their defense, I give our defense a little bit of an edge. So if you look at it, if you stack up a, a somewhat inexperienced quarterback against a slightly better defense, it seems like the answer to that, you know, if you take your you extrapolate your question all the way out, it seems like this is a Chiefs victory. And the one thing I, you know, I I feel like you know, the lack of experience on Brock Purdy to play, and we don't play interconference, so it's not like the Chiefs and 49ers play a ton. You know, we don't know each other intimately, but I just feel like, you know, you got a quarterback who's, I think, a two-year starter. How is he going to deal with the disguises, the master of disguise in, in Steve Spagnolo? And so you got a lot of, there's a lot of little matchups here to look for. And I, you know, I, I feel like the Chiefs are just a tick better in all of those. So when it comes down to it, yeah, I think it's going to, I would be shocked, Paul, if it's a high scoring game. I just don't think that's going to happen. At least 
I can't imagine that with our defense. I mean, our defense in the second half in the playoffs has been stunning, holding the Dolphins to nothing, the Bills to few, the the Ravens to nothing. I just I feel like it'd be a shock if this was a thirty-five to you know forty-one victory or whatever. I I do think the pressure on the quarterback is going to make a difference, and I think when you analyze it, if both teams get equal pressure, I think Mahomes will fare better under that pressure. I I think that's I mean that's that's the thing on this Dan like my my brain is telling call from mom answer it call silenced Instacart knows nothing gets between you and the game that's why they make ordering from your couch easy stock up today and get all your groceries for the week delivered in as fast as thirty minutes without missing a minute of the game you have forty seven new voicemails. Download the app to get free delivery on your first three orders while supplies last. Minimum $10 per order. Additional terms apply. We get it. Attention spans just aren't what they used to be. Heads in social media and eyes on Netflix. But what do people do with their ears? Well, for one, they're listening to audio. Americans spend 4.4 hours with audio every day. Oh, and you want the proof? Well, you just sat through this ad that's now approaching 30 seconds. What could you say to a potential customer in 30 seconds? Let Odyssey put together a media plan tailor-made for your unique marketing needs. Advertise with Odyssey. Visit ads.odyssey.com. Me, the 49ers have more ammo, but my gut's telling me the same thing it's told me since the worst of times this year. You give Mahomes and Kelsey that kind of defense. And and I'm just I don't know how you can bet against it. They'll be underdogs again here. I mean, look, the Chiefs have a better defense. San Francisco's had a better offense. There's that's it, that that is in the evidence. San Francisco had the second highest scoring offense in football this year, more than Miami, more than Baltimore, more than Buffalo, only behind Dallas slightly. And the Chiefs have had better defense. I mean, both teams have good offenses and good defenses. You've got one of the best offenses in football going up against one of the best defenses in football. But you have Mahomes tied to that best defense in football. I don't know how you bet against that. Yeah, yeah I heard uh, I heard it. I think it was Kyle Brand on Good Morning Football say the other day, he said, you know, normally the you see in like a Super Bowl matchup, you see a really good quarterback going up against a really good defense. The problem with this game is that both the good quarterback and the good defense are the same team in the Chiefs. And I, and I do think that's the case. I, I think, you know, much like Kelsey, I think Debo Samuel, I think Christian McCaffrey, they're going to get yards. You're not going to just take them out completely out of the game, I don't think. Uh, now, I know, and I know Debo Samuel is banged up, but, you know, he's getting some rest these, these two weeks as well. I just feel like they're going to get some yards, but I don't think, you know, Purdy's going to throw for 450 yards. I don't think he's going to, you know, throw three touchdowns, four touchdowns on this Chiefs defense. I just think they're too good, man. Uh, quick question, and it's very important. Everybody needs to know the, the answer to this one, and I hope you have the answer. If Travis Kelsey wins Super Bowl MVP. Does he pop the question to Taylor Swift? <laughs> well, I've heard all kinds of things. Last night it was kind of cute. He said, uh, you know, Taylor Swift had won album of the year and brought home a Grammy, I think, on Sunday night. And so he said, well, she brought home the hardware. Now it's my turn to bring home the hardware. Now, there you go. That's the drive, man. He's, I, I've heard rumors oh, that that might happen. Wow. I, I've oh, heard. Oh, my goodness. Yeah. I, 
but I've also heard rumors that he was going to hide the ring in Andy Reid's belly button and have Andy pull up his shirt to put the ring out. And I thought, okay, that has to be the least romantic thing I've ever heard. She, she might actually have to tell him no if that's how he pops the question. Would she put I, it, actually put it on? That. Oh, my gosh. <laughs> you know, there's strategy, that's Dan. Right. Like, if, if he asks her publicly, it's harder for her to say no. It, oh. It's a strategic move. I get it. <laughs> Yeah, that's true. Jacob would know. I do think this whole <laughs> that's right. this whole thing has just been amazing to watch with her her circle of influence, where she literally doesn't even have to go on the air and and pump a product, and she just wears it. It becomes sold out immediately. It's been fascinating to watch this. I kind of for a while I was calling this the Taylor Swift Bowl, but uh, I, I will say this about Kelsey. He man, he seems dialed in right now. I just. He seems incredibly focused. I don't, you know, I think this guy really wants this ring. And and I, it's interesting to me because I get to wear two Super Bowl rings because of these guys. And would I like a third? Sure. But it, it's not like the first. I don't know where their drive comes from. And it's fascinating to me to watch the mindset and the competitiveness of these athletes because they are really driven for this. Mahomes and Kelsey – uh, they're setting the tone, and the, uh, you walk around the hotel. There's not a lot of crazy going on. It's all business, and I just that's to me that's a good omen. And maybe the 49ers hotel is that way too. But at the very least, guys, we're going to get a heck of a Super Bowl, and that to me, if it's a good game, uh, you know, I'll, I'll be satisfied. It it will be. I I think almost certainly it will be. And it's going to be uh, a blast. And they're the underdog. That's all the motivation they need. They have been. They will continue to be. Yeah. Uh, they'll they'll be the perceived underdog in this game, and they'll use it. All right, Dan, it's the weird broadcast stuff. Uh, so uh, as far as the pre- and post-game, which we're privy to, what do you guys have planned? We're hoping to get Kurt Warner and possibly Kevin Harlan on. Uh, that'll be fun. Ke- Kevin's always fun. It's, you know, yeah. It takes me back to the 90s and, you know, when I started and was young in this sport. And, and I just love having Kevin on. But Kurt is amazing. His analysis is always great. He's fun to be around. And so hopefully we're going to get him on. We're trying to work out time schedules. It's a little strange. The, the demand on everybody's time here is just furious. And so trying to work out these segments, you know, like we'll do a segment that's supposed to air live. We'll record so that we can record Kurt Warner for a later segment, which is pretty easy for me to keep track of because I have it all on paper. But what what typically happens in those is Danon and Kling will be talking and they say, you know, we talked with Kurt Warner. And I'm like, no, no, fans haven't heard that yet. And they, they don't know we've talked to Kurt Warner yet, but it'll be fun. We're, we'll have something. We'll have some good stuff. I'm, I'm headed to Radio Row today, so – Hopefully get to see some people. We get a, Yesterday we talked to Annie Agar, and uh, that was fun. She's hysterical. and uh, it's, it's an environment down here that's target-rich, right? There are people everywhere, and they're all good. So we'll dial in something. All right, Dan. Well, we look forward to it. Uh, the Chiefs Radio Network pre- and post-game. Uh, as always, you can hear with our Odyssey family. Enjoy this one, Dan. Uh, we'll have a post-mortem next week, and it's hard to imagine. That'll be the end of it, but... It's going to be a fun ride on the way there. Yeah, let's go win another championship. There he goes. Dan Israel, executive producer of the Chiefs Radio Network. Uh, I believe we'll have Tommy back in shortly. 
We'll come back. On the way out here, let's give away some HTO, shall we? Let's uh, do it. Let's go free coffee, which are available at the uh, Free Brew House Coffee, available in Derby or at East Wichita's location, or free iced tea, which is good in Derby or either Wichita location. Good luck, everybody. First caller to the KFH hotline right now, 869-1240. We'll win that pair of prizes. We'll be back with more Sports Daily right after this. Welcome back in, everybody, to Sports Daily here on KFH. Uh, Paul, where are we? So the story comes yesterday, and it's, man, it's right in the middle of about a thousand things happening. But there is some chatter now about a decision by the uh, National Labor Relations Board that the men's basketball team could vote for a union. If so, it would mark the first time a labor union would consist of NCAA athletes. So, you know, this this is interesting because it's the NCAA's fault. It's college athletics' fault. This will be as disruptive or more than anything that's changed or is changing with college athletics, certainly. Um, and I just sit here and I'm like, that many years of exploitative, you know, behaviors is if it leads to this and you get a union overall i don't know how they're ever going to sort this out or agree to like labor disputes because the business models never made sense to begin with well this is an interesting development by the way this this is all happening at dartmouth of all places an ivy league school Uh, how's that for irony with regards to unionizing at an ivy league school of all places so with that being said uh it makes it very, very interesting because it's almost like this is an entity that the, the, this basketball team is like an entity, like a particular wing of the Dartmouth uh, Employees Association. Like these are guys that aren't in maintenance. Uh, they aren't in, in teaching. They aren't in, uh, in uh, cafeteria work. They aren't in maintenance. They're in basketball, and they're, gonna, they're going to have their own wing of, of you know, unionizing uh, for let me get this right, the Service Employees International let me, Union. Paul, so, Paul, let me let me ask you this more sure. basically: Are are college athletes employees of a university? That's a very good question. Now, off first blush, I so would say so this no, Dartmouth but, this Dartmouth group said that they're easily spending forty hours a week working for their sport. The NCAA permits twenty, right? I think we're being naive if we don't think of college athletes as revenue drivers for their institutions. Right. 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 Which you can call that what you want, but they do work for the university and generate money for the university. The fundamental question comes in, is a scholarship or anything else, you know, enough to warrant the work? Well, that's what would have to get negotiated out if this happens. We know how much power players' unions have in pro sports. We see at times in Major League Baseball and really none of the other sports. Well, sometimes in football. Like, so it's hard. 
I, I think at the core, players are going to get paid. How it happens and how much is what will get sorted out here. How much can universities realistically afford? Uh, how much do athletics fund other things on campus, which isn't really the athlete's fault? But but all businesses go through this, right? Like some employees have more value to you and earn more than others, but maybe they provide more overall for your company. I don't know how that gets sorted out. Union negotiations are going to be messy and complicated because there are so many athletes across so many sports. Do you have a basketball players union? Do you have a track athlete union? Do you have one big, big union to represent all college athletes? Like it's so complicated to even try to comprehend. And I just think back to like, it's so unnecessary. If college athletics would have done a long time ago, what needed to be done and get ahead of the curve on all this stuff within I like whatever opportunity you had to avoid this, they have basically avoided being forward thinking and compensating these athletes. If this is the ultimate conclusion, it has a chance to be so much more disruptive to what you've loved about co- like if you think NIL is disruptive, wait till you see a college athletes union. You want to see disruptive to everything you've ever known about college athletics? I mean, it's going to be a mess. Well, hold on there, Coach East. I'm not quite so sure that that is the particular case that we need to have uh, said because here's the thing about the strength of a union is about strength in numbers. So right now we've got Dartmouth. The basketball team at Dartmouth is unhappy. They don't like what's going on. They hate this thing. There's things they hate going on at Dartmouth University or Dartmouth College. So they're saying we may want to join this union. We may want to get a union. Now, the thing about unions is their strengths in numbers. Can you see the University of Kansas saying, Dartmouth, we're with you. We're going on strike. We're not playing the University of of uh, we're not playing the University of Houston this weekend for a Big 12 championship. We're on strike. We're with you. We're going to hang in there. I don't see that happening, my friend. I Have you ever see seen it happening in any I, sport? I, I, you I don't see it see, in Major I, League Baseball in 1994? No, that's uh, a different thing, though. That's a different thing. Why? Th- that's that's different because this is strength in numbers. They all are represented in the same thing. The, the, the interests of Dartmouth and the interests of the University of Kansas are two different things. They're different things for almost every university. They're all going to be different. They're almost like standalone units. I don't see how this works in terms of what good does it do? And I'm going to ask you, Jacob, what good does it do to be in a union? I don't see. Now, I can see being a member of the NIL, and, and, and now with, with the passing of the NIL and the, and the portals and all that stuff, if you're a player, man, that is great. That is great fun. Well, that is look, great I, leverage. But, I, but, but nobody is going to go on strike to give dark. Paul, have you been – I mean, have you been watching society the last? We've had a we've had a, a United Auto Workers sure, strike, which sure. bounds across companies, and we've seen a Hollywood strike, both at the you know writer level and producer, and then the actor level. Right. Sure, like I, I, it it gets into it. It probably gets into the weeds politically on what people think about unions, and that's it's only important to talk about possibilities of what could happen. We're not here to, you know, get on some platform and discuss the validity right. of of labor unions. That's not what we're here to do, but it's it's there in front of us as a possibility. And and I think, you know, if it it's just always interesting to me the pressures that 
athletes or really anyone in any profession face to join these unions or not, right? Like it's it's a it is an interesting phenomenon to me. And so if you have a scenario where athletes universally and holistically unionize, I think that's a possibility. I think individual unions at individual schools are a possibility. I think individual unions for individual sports is also a possibility. I think none of it happening is a possibility. But what it all points to is the same thing, is more compensation to the players. And what fascinates me the most by it is this was all so avoidable. But like when you just bury your head in the sand, which is what people want to do with college athletics— it, it, and put, I'm saying from the perspective of a university, worst case scenarios can present themselves. If you have unified, like there's strength in numbers, you're right. There's also a lot of pressure, Paul, with unions for people to get in them because they know there is strength in numbers. We're seeing nurses strike all over the country from hospital to hospital. Like, of course, there's strength in numbers. And that's what should have the greatest fear, you know, from the universities and the NCAA standpoint is if there is any you know unifying effort on this, I don't know what would happen. I don't even know how I can't even comprehend with the value of players in different sports at different places being so different from place to place. On the flip side, if you're Caleb Williams, right? Like it does it benefit you to be in a union full of soccer players? Right? I don't know. Like, Are they going to drive your value down, or are you better off in the open and free market? Doing, I, I, it's all so dang complicated. This, to me, unionization of athletes, of all the possible scenarios in college athletics, has always been the most complicated, always had the most wrinkles to try and navigate. The simplest was always NIL, which should have been fully embraced from the get-go by everybody, right? Because then the universities aren't the one that have to pay it. The next simplest is just pay them. Put them under a work contract instead of a scholarship and pay them. You can choose. You can either have the monetary value of a scholarship. You can take a scholarship and build in more value to that. If that's what, like that to me has always been the simplest. This is the most complicated. If this, if this turns into anything is, is to deal with unions trying to negotiate with universities. I, I, I mean, it's going to be a hot mess, Paul. Well, here's the thing. Basically, unionizing is over several things, including travel, uh, practice hours, and working conditions. Listen, right. you take Dartmouth and the University of Kansas. Working conditions are going to be totally opposite. The luxurious, the wonderful, the great working conditions of the University of Kansas basketball is going to be a lot different than Dartmouth. And then you take, you take travel. You know, you know, the University of Kansas travels on the best, the best of everything. You know, you're going to be taking a bus a lot at Dartmouth. You're going to be taking a bus. You're not going to be flying everywhere. You're going to be bussing everywhere. That's just the nature of the, the money that's available. I don't see how this works because like products are so different. Now, uh, Dartmouth. Paul, do you think do you think Tom Hanks and the extra who's in SAG-AFTRA have different working conditions? <laughs> well, I would say I would say they probably both go to the same set. They both have the same ability to eat off the food table that is catered to them on a daily basis, that they probably have uh, very nice trailers that they can change in, 
They have the attention from no, the director. I'm not. The so sure. extra does not have the same circumstances as the A-list superstar. Well, okay. They do absolutely do not. Well, maybe they do. I, I, I don't know. That's a good question. I don't know uh, whether whether Tom Hanks. I would imagine if you're Tom Hanks's second, though, that's something else. If you're Jad Chambers' second, your working conditions are not very good. But if you're Tom Hanks's second. I, I got a feeling that the studio has taken pretty darn good care of him. Yeah, I'll bet it is. Yep. It's not that bad. But they're both a member of the same union that works in in hand with each other, right? They're in part of it. So, well, so yeah. I yeah, that's right. And and that's where, like, I again, like, I'm not smart enough at a bird's eye look to understand the potential of what a union would look like. But I've got a decent idea of what it could look like, and it could be disruptive to the college model we've known forever. If you think the transfer portal and if you think NIL have been disruptive to the college model you know and love, wait till you see labor unions negotiating with, I guess, athletic administrators. Like, I like I don't even it, – it would be – Catastrophic. Universities well, can't handle when that. When you put it like that, it is a little scarier than, than maybe I was thinking. It might be a little scarier. I don't know, but when you put it like that, well, maybe you've got a point. I don't know what the I, – and I don't even know where that lands. Maybe it's not much at all. Maybe you're just negotiating practice hours like you mentioned and you let NIL handle the compensation. Maybe there's some combination of things. How do you unify a bunch of young people to do anything? Right, like it would take so much effort to even—I I, don't—I don't know. You know, let <laughs> this is a joke. Please, nobody take offense. Yeah. Let and the it, nerds at Dartmouth figure it out. Yeah, right? Dartmouth and could then, drop basketball. You know, that's a possibility they could see. That's what—that's the fear, a, right? Universities are going to get to a point they're where gonna, they're like, we like, sorry, can't afford it. Not worth it. I don't know. That's right. That, that, I, that is. I a don't fear. know. That is a fear. Yes. We'll see. It's out there. We'll continue to kind of keep our eye on it and see what comes of it. Nothing, you know, to panic about yet, but it's an interesting development because like two years ago, the same board said that players couldn't unionize at Northwestern. So clearly they've had a change of heart. I don't know. I I, I don't know where this ultimately lands. I do know it's probably got some people sweating right now. We'll be back with more Sports Daily right after this. All right, welcome back in, everybody. Sports Daily here on KFH. Super Bowl just days away. Of course, the you know Travis Kelsey, Taylor Swift thing has made already such a big pop culture thing, even more pop culture-y. Um, are you enjoying it, Paul, still, this, this side story of the Super Bowl and the Chiefs this season? I think it's great. I've, I haven't had an issue with it the whole way. I think you... You know, to some degree, you've got to you got to find it if you want it. I think it is easy. I mean, you're going to hear about it, but you know, people that get annoyed, they're they're just like trying to right. be annoyed by something, right? Well, who am I to say who can fall in love and who can't? I mean, right. you know, who who am I? You know, it doesn't matter you're to get me. in the way you, of love, Paul. I, I am not going to be that guy to get in the way you're of the, love. You're you're a big old teddy bear, the That's thespian, right. like you believe in storybook romance. Yeah, find whoever you love and love them, and that's fine with me. 
good for you. I'm happy for you. So who am I to say that that Kelsey and, and Swift aren't meant for each other? I think they might be. I was skeptical. Yeah. I was skeptical at first. I'm not going to lie to you. I'm not going to Jacob. I'm not going to say. Oh, no, but you've no. never. But you've, I, but you've never been. You've never been like annoyed with no, the coverage. No. I think it's. I think it's fun. No, I, think, I love that my kids know about it and ask me about it, and and it's like. It, it honestly, like, it's the first foray for me with three kids under 10, the two that are in elementary school, are, like, aware of this social phenomenon. It's the first time this has happened. So now, like, you know, they're more interested in a football game. They're more interested in Taylor Swift's music. They're more right. interested in both. Like, right. I, it's it's very cool to sort of see them take on, like, cultural relevance like that for the first time. Right. I, I've had a blast with it. I think it's really cool well, to, to see it and have it happening. Count me in on that because although I love football and I follow football, there have been a lot of Taylor Swift fans who weren't necessarily football fans who have had exposure, kind of like it, kind of follow it now, partly because of her. Probably the Chiefs have picked up a, up a lot of those fans because of Taylor Swift. Sure they And have. you want to know something? I couldn't have told you when this all started one Taylor Swift song. I'm sorry. I just, I just it's not my genre. I, I wish it was more my genre. But you know something? I recognize a few Taylor Swift songs about right now. And I wouldn't have known any Taylor Swifts. What are you looking at me like that? Jad is looking at me like what's you You song? know the songs you wouldn't have known they were her. I get it. No. I didn't know Jad. nearly as much as the general public. <laughs> yeah. But I have listened to more Taylor Swift now. There, there you go. No I, question. I recognize them. And that's saying something because I wouldn't have. You know, I've always thought, well, she was just one of those pop stars. You know, she's one of those one of those phenomenons that uh, young teenager lady uh, girls would would enjoy and and so uh but now I know I mean so really and truly I understand how Taylor Swift has brought her fans more of them into the recognition of football because Travis Kelsey and his love for Taylor Swift have brought me into knowing more about Taylor Swift and who would have ever thought that for guys sakes that's a I'll beautiful tell you what thing I I'm with you on that the other thing it's done is like from what I'm observing now, there's an unreasonable amount of haters out there, and I just sort of just I, I I just oh, don't I'm not yeah I'm not culturally yeah. relevant yeah. enough. No, I mean yeah. even before. Well, just, where now is like my kids are asking about the music, and I'm like, why? Like, it seems like they're just haters to be haters, well, right? That's like horrible. I haven't seen anything. Like she's living the life that that we all wish we could she live, flying around, before, yeah. having fun. Watching her boyfriend play football, like the in-laws are having a great time. It's all good. I'm, I'm, I like it. I think it's been fun. I, I've I, got no issue with I've it. I've enjoyed the heck out of it. And by the way, she's brought millions and millions of young fans into a recognition of football, and I'm grateful for and that. And he has brought and and he has brought millions and millions of fans to her music yeah, too. By the I way, count, count count me as one of them. Yeah. It's, it's fun. We'll get it one more time on full display. It's not their fault everybody asking questions about it all That's the time. That's not their 869 We'll come back. We'll tell you what's on the network today next. We get it. Attention spans just aren't what they used to be. Heads in social media and eyes on Netflix. But what do people do with their ears? Well, for one, they're listening to audio. Americans spend 4.4 hours with audio every day. Oh, and you want the proof? Well, you just sat through this ad that's now approaching 30 seconds. What could you say to a potential customer in 30 seconds? 
Let Odyssey put together a media plan tailor-made for your unique marketing needs. Advertise with Odyssey. Visit ads.odyssey.com.